Good morning, Loveland. I'm Mike Meldon, and this is your Loveland Weekly Podcast. Today, may we all pause to pay tribute to those who laid down their lives for our nation. We are forever grateful for their unwavering commitment and sacrifice. On this Memorial Day, we remember them with deep respect and heartfelt appreciation. This week, I will be talking again with my partner, Doug Gilbert. He and I both founded a local nonprofit called Love Our Land. A lot of people may recognize the name, but are unfamiliar with what we do exactly. So today, we're going to try to make it clear. We will also have the last update of the year from the middle school. They actually sent it to us last week, but we did not have an episode. So I'm going to include it today. Today is Monday, May 29th, 2023. Memorial Day. All right, Doug. Um, usually we start talking about Love Our Land and we go into a little bit of the history on on how we got together and this and that. But I want to start this one out a little bit differently. I want to talk about our mission first. I want to talk about um, and I want to read it to you. And then I'm going to have you kind of explain what it means, because I think it's the most important thing to get out of the way, um, yeah. because. It's, I think it's the main thing. People look at us, I want to get deeper into this. People look at us as just the local environmental group. And uh, I think we have a little bit more of a niche than that that people don't understand. So our mission is we seek to reconnect people in nature and in so doing, empower citizens with the skills and knowledge necessary to address the biodiversity crisis in their own neighborhoods and yards. So what does that mean? in layman's terms for the people to understand what are we trying to accomplish so really number one we need to connect individuals and nature uh if you're not connected to something you don't understand it you're less likely to care or appreciate it um so number one it's all about getting people outdoors and engaged in their environment and observing nature and, um, you know, ideally getting them to do that on a daily basis. And I think that's where, because we have so many nature walks, events, like our campfires, our owl prowls, um, since that's one piece of our, our mission, I think that's what people kind of just assume that's what we are. You know what right. I mean? Right. Yeah. I think and because... That's kind of like the ground level getting in. It is so important. Yes. I think more people are getting connected with nature, but it's so important to create that connection. And, and you know, one of the reasons right. we got into this is because you do that so well. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that. I think that's what people see us as. It's like, hey, this group that gets us out. But can yes. you continue? Sorry. Yeah, no, no. I think you're absolutely right. Um and I think a lot of organizations do a really good job of, of doing that. Um, and, but so, you know, that's, that's step number one. Step number two is really getting people to look outside and see more than just green. There's more depth and com complexity to nature than what we just see if we're not, you know, paying attention. And so being able to look out, understand what plants are around you, what animals are around you, 
and evaluating the health of that space. Is this green and healthy and happy or, you know, is there some, is it just green and it's really full of non-native invasive plants that create food deserts for right. biodiversity? And I have to point out here too, if you would have told me that before we got this started, if I was just listening right now, that would have said, I, I, that sounds really tough. <laughs> I mean, it sounds really hard. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to walk into a green space and be able to tell if it's healthy or not. And and, and I just want to add that but we're going to talk about our background for a second, but I have no background in this. This is, you're the expert here. I kind of uh, run the other parts of the show here, but you, you can learn really quickly. And, and part of the reasons yeah. I wanted to get this going is I would walk into all green spaces, like you said, and, and they were all created equal. I would go in and just think, this is gorgeous. I live like right on the West Loveland Nature Preserve. I'm walking down here in this oasis of nature. And I felt that way until you pointed out, well, Mike, it's missing this, this, and this. And you can, and I think this is important for people to understand, once you spot you know, the couple main non-native invasive species you can see how unhealthy the environment is real quick even my kids can now you know so yeah go ahead yep yeah so you know be really almost being the doctor and looking at the patient you know the you know whatever environment you're in is the patient and you're looking at how plants are grouped and assembled what species are there that all provides you some evidence on how healthy a space is. And so really being able to do that, say, hey, you know, there's an issue here. If it is West Loveland Nature Preserve, you look at it and you say, okay, it's full of bush honeysuckle and multiflora rose and calorie pears. And then being able as a citizen to say, yes, there's something wrong and I want to do something about it. I want to improve conditions here. And that's the great thing about what we kind of offer folks is we let them get to that point where they feel empowered because they have, you know, this new skill set and this new knowledge, uh, you know, regarding nature and they feel empowered to do something and uh, they can do it. And it's a really rewarding experience because you know you go out you remove bush honeysuckle and you plant it with you know native shrubs like arrowwood and black hot viburnum and the next few years once those plants mature you come back and there are butterflies visiting those flowers there are bees visiting those flowers and you can start to just see the life come back to an area and for me that's why i do this like it it truly is such a rewarding experience personally, but it's also rewarding in a sense that you're providing the community a service. You're improving the health of the local environment and each little bit matters from, you know, West Loveland Nature Preserve to a small, you know, 50 square foot plot in your yard. It all really, really matters. Right, and and I think one of the things that you can tell the unhealthiness of the environment by, by finding the non-native invasive species. But you can also tell when you pointed out to me, well, Mike, where is the life? 
And I think that I grew, I think we grew up in a lot of these areas and just expected that there's not always that much life around us. We, we don't know what's supposed to be there when in actuality, a healthy uh, green space uh, would have the butterflies, the bees, yeah. uh, plenty of different species of birds. And you yes. should be able to sit there and see them. And so when you opened my eyes to this and you said, well, look, you got all these non-native invasive species and what they're doing is they're killing. They're not allowing these other organisms, this life to survive, which is what uh, in science or whatever, what we refer to even in our in our mission statement is the biodiversity crisis. Yeah, absolutely. Prior to the vast deforestation and plowing of the prairies that occurred here in Ohio and in so many other places, you know, you would have hundreds of birds living in, you know, a small forest nesting there and just tons of species that are zipping by you and crawling past you and, you know, walking past you. And you're really, it's almost like you, you'd be in a rainforest. What people kind of expect from a rainforest, we would have had that here, but that's been stripped away. And really, we've had such a shifting baseline for the environmental health of areas that we, we've we never seen that. Our parents never saw that. Our grandparents never saw that. So we have no good sort of idea of what things should look yeah, like what to but, expect right exactly right. we don't know right um just to give a brief history on how we met and how we got this started i was a member of loveland's tree environment committee doug had moved into town doug was just what we needed we needed somebody that knew what the heck was going on an expert so i got doug on there and he kind of taught me about this biodiversity crisis and non-native invasive species and we did a lot of great work for the city. Uh, we started to get a strategy going. Doug is still actually on that committee uh, currently. And um, we wanted to make a difference in the land that really matters because the land east of the Mississippi is mostly private owned land, whether that be business or individuals. And it's over 80%. And so we said to really make an impact, we got to reach citizens. So we decided to, okay, we were focusing on the city. I left the committee to really focus on love our land. And what we want to do is really make people see that, hey, you can see this life. This is a change that you can make. See the difference in a short time, right? And be a part of something that we've read about from uh, a book called Nature's Best Tote by Doug Colony. He said he has this idea called Homegrown National Park. Doug, can you expand on what he means by that and what are we doing to try to promote that? Yeah, so the homegrown national park is the idea that there's more land wrapped up in private land, you know, owner, what private landowners have than we have in our national forests, national parks, all of that stuff combined. And together, we could take all this little this patchwork of private land and create our own national park. You know, that's where the homegrown national park name really comes from. And the idea is to take and convert yards that are predominantly turf grass and turn those into patches of habitat for nature and for biodiversity. And in doing so, you begin to reverse the trajectory of biodiversity loss. 
And instead we start to regenerate that biodiversity. We bring songbirds and bees and butterflies and all manner of life back to our, the communities in which we live because truly there, there's not enough of these natural untrammeled places left in North America, even in the world to sustain our human you know, communities. Um, we need to have functioning ecosystems right where we live, right in our communities. So when we, you know, walk to our parks, we should be seeing as much life along the sidewalks and in our neighbors' yards as we do in the parks themselves. Yeah, and, and we're starting to get people interested, and I think it's going to be, it's going to grow. I, I hope, our hope, obviously, is that it becomes a domino effect. But can you talk a little bit about maybe the mapping that we want to do eventually and how we can truly create Loveland, a community like this in Loveland? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a big sort of mapping nerd. I love looking at maps, old maps, new maps, any type of map, really. It's very, I find it very interesting and revealing. It's a really great way to express data. And so what I would love to see happen is I'd love to see a map of the greater Loveland community, and I'd love to see where there is by you know a lot of biodiversity where are these native plants that we need so desperately and by doing that if we can start mapping that out then we have a better idea of okay well this is where we should we're we're lacking a lot of you know native plants over here these biodiversity islands is what i call them because they're islands of habitat surrounded by a sea of non-native or you know paved concrete whatever it's a sea of nothing. And, you know, so where are the biodiversity habitat or islands now? And where do we need to get more? Uh, and so by creating that map, we can really do that. Um, we can really highlight, you know, and recognize where it is we need to start focusing on communicating better with landowners so that they can start implementing these practices themselves. And it's important to note, too, that people we're not asking people to get rid of their lawns. You know, that, that's no, a big step. No. We know that there are HOAs out there. But like Doug said, if you can create part of your yard, even the landscaping that you have now, uh, if you switch yeah. it over to native <clears throat> plants um, or just take an area of your yard, Doug, we, we actually have a class on how to create just an area to actually create an island almost in your yard. But, Doug, what are some other ways if people are listening to this and saying, OK, I want I want to what can I do to help? How can we help them? What, what do they need to know? So one big thing is figuring out where to purchase native plants. Um, we're lucky here in the Cincinnati area that we have a few um, native plant retailers. I'll put a shout out to Keystone Flora. That, that's a company uh, based in Cincinnati. That I uh, That's where I started. And the gentleman who owns that, his name's Steve, he is extremely knowledgeable and extremely friendly. Highly recommend going to him and talking to him about the plants that he has. Uh, so really identifying where to get your plants uh, is, is critical. Highly recommend not going to any sort of large box stores for native plants because those plants are typically treated with uh, systemic insecticides that will actually harm your local ecosystems. So steer clear of those guys. 
And if you go to a, you know, a retailer and you're not sure whether or not they've treated their, their plants, I mean, this is a very common practice. So it's an important thing to ask, you know, ask the people there, hey, is this treated with any type of insecticides? Um, you know, what do you do to protect pollinators um, when you're, you're hand, you know, you're, you're applying these insecticides and everything, make sure that they tell you, no, these are good, these are organic, and these are great. So that, you know, that, that's an important element to it. Once you get, you know where to get your plants, the big thing is, I always strive to provide, you want to strive to have floral resources, so pollen and nectar available to pollinators from spring to fall. So typically, um, you know, late March, early April to October, you want to have staggering blooms that entire period if you can. So it takes some strategy, you know, you some strategic thinking. If you're trying to, um, you you only have a, so much space to use, you got to really think about, okay, what do I, what am I going to put here? And the other thing is, you want to you want to plant these things in in patches, in bundles, uh, clusters. You don't want to just put one of each plant. That's going to be uh, not going to be very great for your pollination of those plants. You want to make sure you have at the minimum three three plants of each species. And so I think that kind of information, you know, three plants of each species, and then having those species have staggered blooms from basically April to October, that's enough to get you started. If you can meet those criteria you've created a biodiversity island. And this can be, this can be perennials, this can be shrubs, this can be vines, this can be trees. All of those um, plants flower and have the ability to support pollinators and other biodiversity. And also, if anybody's listening and they're interested in this, and that just sounds like it's way over their head, like a lot of it was for me, um, <laughs> You can, we have information, we have PDFs on our website under the information section that talks about, uh, that gives you a list of all native plants that, that you can buy, talks about their blooming period, talks about whether they're better say, uh, shade or sun or whatever. So you can get all that information there, or, you know, there's plenty of, of resources online, but Doug is also available for consultations uh, at a very reasonable price too. You just contact us through our website. So anything um, just to wrap up, Doug? Yeah, I mean, just really the biggest thing here is uh, if you want to do good for nature and you want to, you know, be, you know, a nature lover, this is the thing to do, truly. If you go out and you plant these plants in your yards, you are going to learn so much about the local flora and fauna. You're going to feel fulfilled. Like I said, it's an extraordinarily rewarding experience to see the plants that you've planted sustaining life around you. My name is Hank and I'm here with Kane, Bracken, and Kaylin. And today we are going to be giving you our weekly update at Loveland Intermediate School. It's hard to believe that it's the last week of school at LIS. Field day is something we look forward to all year. The fifth grade field day is on Monday and the sixth grade field day is on Tuesday. 
We will participate in many different races and events and then end the day with tug of war. Which classes will win this year? Last day of school is this Thursday. Thursday. Teachers have planned lots of fun events for students. There will be yearbook signings for fellow students to sign each other's yearbooks, award presentations, and a cookout as well. Have a great summer. Go check out our Lovelandish podcast on Spotify, and thanks for listening today. Looking ahead in love. Today is Memorial Day, and the parade will begin at 9 a.m., and will start at Loveland Elementary School. Immediately following the parade, a ceremony will be held at Loveland Veterans Memorial, located at the intersection of West Loveland Avenue and Riverside Drive. June 10th, from 1 to 3 p.m., there will be a gazebo ribbon cutting. The city will hold a small ribbon cutting ceremony and a concert at Nisbet Park's new gazebo. And on June 13th, from 7 to 8 p.m., Loverland will be holding the first informational meeting for its new youth conservation team that is open to kids from grades 5th through 8th. Details are at loverland.org's event page. Check it out. We have something truly special here in Loveland. Thank you for listening and have a great week.